All right, we are continuing in our series on neighboring, the art of neighboring. Uh, There's a series that's accompanied, uh, paralleling the book, uh, The Art of Neighboring. So I pray that you're, um, those that are reading it, those that are doing it in their groups, are being edified and that it's speaking to you. Um, and it's, there's, there's a lot of kind of theological, spiritual um, things that this book opens up and, and things that we have to think about. And so our scripture today comes out of um, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 14 through 16. Listen for the word of the Lord. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would guide the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, that Lord, each person gathered here and those that are listening online would receive what you have for us today. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So why love your neighbor? Why are we doing this? Why are we talking about this? Why are we supposed to love our neighbor? See, now I have to cut out this whole section of my sermon. <laughs> you, you jumped right into it. That's good, though. Yeah, it, it, but we always have to question our motives. As, as we always have to be careful. Because in the book, it talks about uh, things and dangers of, as far as our motives, as far as our attitudes, when we're doing something in the name of Christ, whether it be a ministry, a mission, a reaching out to our neighbors. You know, it, because a lot of times we would think in different mind frames that uh, we, we're doing this to bring people to Christ. Or maybe have people come to our church. Or um, because we're good Christians and we need to help those poor wretches that live next to us. <laughs> right? Um, or maybe it's in, our, it's in our mission statement. Maybe we're, we're supposed to transform the world. That's why we do it. Right? Making disciples of Jesus Christ to transform the world. It says it in our mission statement. And the answer, the good answer, the right answer is because Jesus told us to, period. And that's, sometimes we need to get back to just that simplicity of, because Jesus said, that's it. Why are you doing it? I don't know. Jesus said. That's what he said. And the why we need to live there, it doesn't mean that we can't always figure out or we might not see a, a, a benefit or a reason to do it. But we're not always going to know the mind of God. We're not always going to see the future. We're not always going to know how this will affect or what, how this will turn out. 
So a lot of times we need to just have that attitude that, I don't know, Jesus said to. Because that will keep us in a good place. Remember we talked about Levi. And Jesus was walking by and he says, follow me. Levi didn't say, now what is the vision statement that you have for this? Uh, Where do you see this taking us in five years, Jesus? Where do we want to be in five years? He didn't take a membership class. He didn't go to seminary. He, He didn't do anything. What did he do? Jesus said, follow. He said, okay. Why? Because Jesus said it. And there was something about him. And so sometimes, and I, you know, being on the pastor side, being in the conference side, I see it all the time. We, we want to complicate things. And we want to know what it's going to do and how. And, and I'll tell you, most of the vision statements and the mission statements that I've seen and where the long-term planning, and I'm not bad-mouthing it, but I've seen very few come to fruition. Very few. If I could, I'm just being generous. I can't, I don't know one. Doesn't mean they're not out there. Because God's plans for us are not always our plans. And sometimes our plans tend to be more about us than they do about God and do about Jesus. So we always have to examine our motives. Well, there's two ways of doing it. First, we we can focus on our motives, right? Why are we doing these things? What what is our purpose? Um, We can focus on that. And how we would do that is just ask ourselves, why am I doing this? In, In the book, it talks about ulterior and ultimate motives. For those that or reading the book along with this, we'll understand that. But it talks about <clears throat> ulterior motives as those things that might be manipulative, might, might be on the side. Um, that you, what you say in uh, the open and what you say in private might be two different things. And it says we should never do anything with ulterior motives as Christians. But I've been in groups and I've been in conferences and I've been in meetings where we have ulterior motives. And it's saying neighboring should never be uh, having these ulterior motives. It should never be uh, about evangelism or bringing people to church. Now that might happen, but if, if, if that's what we are doing and that's what our goal is and that's not what we're stating, it's being manipulative. It's being insincere. It's being unauthentic. And so we should never, never have ulterior motives. Great quote from the book. It says, we do not love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we are converted. Right? We love them because Jesus said to. Now, it might be the right thing to do. We're supposed to be caring, compassionate, selfless, humble, all of these things, all of these virtues. 
We're supposed to be those things, but we can't be those things in and of themselves. But if we just obey Jesus, that when you go back into the Old Testament, that's what the law was for, what we failed at, right? To keep us where we needed to be. Just when uh, I reference this a lot because it's part of our nature. In Deuteronomy, they're getting ready to go in the promised land. He says, obey me, obey me, because that will keep you where you need to be. If you don't obey me and remember who's blessed you, then you're going to get in there. You're going to drift and drift further away, and that's what happens. King's Chronicles is all about what he promised was going to happen in Deuteronomy. Not because he wanted it to happen or he made it happen. He knows us. And so we have to, when we just obey Christ, when we make it simple, instead of trying to figure it all out, what we need to do, Christ is very clear about. And it's okay to think and go out into deep waters. Just don't stay out there. In the end, go, I think I got this all figured out, but okay, Jesus said so. Because that's the safest place to be. And that will protect us from our ulterior motives. I because it's not about, when it becomes about evangelism in that sense, then that be, these ulterior motives make it about us. We've all heard people say, I remember when I grew up, well, not grew up, but grew up in the Lord out in West Texas and was trying to find myself as a young Christian. And there was Methodist and Baptist and all these different style of Christians. And I remember one, I was in my wife's church she grew up in, and it was a Baptist church. It was a good church, but they had this speaker came in. And he was like, well, I never go to bars and I never do this because I might want to, but if I go in and somebody sees me go in, and so they go and they, begin, they go in and they begin to drink, and ultimately he made a big jump. They go to hell. I don't want to be responsible for that. And I was a young Christian, but I was like, I don't think you have that power. (laughs) And I said, I don't think that sounds right. He made his evangelism all about what him, you know, the old notch in the belt, got another one. That's not us. We, We don't, I don't, even as a pastor, I don't save anybody. I don't condemn anybody. I don't have that power. I'm just supposed to tell what I know. And the rest is up to God. So we have to be very careful about our ulterior motives. You know, why are we doing this? Is it a feather in our cap, another notch in our belt? Is it, maybe it's our attitude. Because I am a good Christian. And we, we got to be careful. We fall into that all the time where we, it becomes a superior thing. I help people because they need help. And I'm the person to help them. And it becomes a one-way relationship. The book talks about this one-way relationship where we'll give and we'll help because we're the neighborhood Christian good person, but we won't receive help. Because we think that's a, position of weakness. Now, that, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't mind serving, but we don't want to be served. We don't mind serving these people, these wretched people that need us because we're good Christians. 
But we fall into that trap of feeling superior. Well, I know it always kind of bugged me when I'd go on these international mission trips, the Africa ones were the worst. You would have these people on your team that got very condescending. They didn't mean it, but it was this, not we're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, and they wouldn't say they were thinking it, but the way they talked to him, the way they treated him, it was like, we're here to help you. Aren't you lucky? And in some ways, I would look at this family. I was sharing with uh, maybe Fred. We were talking about our experiences. First time I went, the Lord really spoke to me. And that, this family, we, it was a dirt floor, hut, fire pit, outhouse. That was their home. And they had little kids, and they had grandma living with them. And, I mean, it was, it was what you might picture. And I had a Holy Spirit moment. I'm just watching the cooking going on. I had this whole kind of full picture and the kids laughing and playing. And I'm like, I'm not sure, but I think they're better off than we are. Because there seemed to be, their, their love of the Lord seemed to have a purity that ours didn't. Their love for one another and, and getting through the day and what was important seemed to be a little more pure to me than what was in ours. And in some ways, maybe they needed to be teaching us. We might have been helping them materially and monetarily, but I'm not sure they weren't helping me spiritually. So it, it can't be a one-way street. We're all sinners. It's not just us churchgoers and the rest sinners, because we establish that we're all sinners, Right? It, Peter, that was Peter's problem. Remember in John chapter 13, um, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. They have no idea what's going on. They're trying to uh, process this whole thing. And he gets to Peter and Peter said, no, not my feet. Uh-uh. I'm the one that washes feet. I'll wash your feet. That superior attitude. I don't need help. And Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, unless you humble yourself and understand you need to, unless you can receive, you can have no part of me. And that's, we can go on with the story of Peter until Jesus brought him to that point. So we have to be careful of our, because all the time, our self is trying to get back in and take over. Even if we start with our right motives and right intentions, pure intentions, that as soon as we begin to help our neighbors and make that relationship, and do, that we start walking home and we're like, mm, I am a good person, right? And they are lucky I am their neighbor. It creeps in if we're honest. Sometimes it creeps in so subtle, and if we begin to have this arrogance, and then, then it just unravels and we lose our witness. We have to be very careful. So we always have to check our motives. That's one way, but I don't know if it's the best way. Because if you focus just on the negative, 
then we're always focused on our negative. You understand? So, so I, I heard something this week that they were talking about so, too often, and I'm guilty of this. I mean, we all should understand that we're sinners and we fall short of the glory of God and we all need grace and that puts us in the right place. But we also need to look for where God is. What I heard this week is that sometimes we focus on the obstacles so much, we're fixated on the obstacles. And the metaphor he gave, and I don't know if it's true, it sounded great, but he said that skiers, really good skiers, when they go skiing down the mountain in the woods and slalom and that kind of stuff, um, they don't focus on the trees. Because if they focus on the trees, they're going to hit a tree. Last time I was in New Mexico skiing, I got down this black on the wrong path, and it was nothing but trees. And it was a nightmare, because all, all I saw was trees that I was going to hit. So it really, this really spoke to me. He said, that good skiers don't look at the trees, they look for the snow. They look for the clear paths. And so we need to look for the goodness. Look for where God's already working. Look for where God is. Don't just focus on our negative. Admit it. So we can focus and be leery of our motives, of our attitudes. But we need to have the ultimate goal as what we're driving. So ulterior is on the side, is manipulative. Ultimate is where we want to be. Right? And where we want to be is a place where people care for one another, where, where there's no division, where there's no hurt, where there's no sin and selfishness. Kind of what revelation. Now, we're not going to get there here. But if we focus on what is good and what is pure, then our motives will be right because we're always trying to make it about us. And one way we can always look at our danger zones about where self creeps in, or the other way is we fix our eyes on Christ. I heard a great like two-minute sermon this week. McAllister Briggs, I think he's a, uh, from Scotland or something. Some of you might have heard of it was a great, probably one of the best two-minute things I've heard. And he was talking about our salvation. And, was, and this is under the ultimate goal of where we, where we should be fixated. If we're fixated where this tells us to fixate, we don't have to worry about our ulterior motives. That self's not going to creep in. And so he says, we need to fixate on the cross of Christ. That it is the cross of Christ we must preach to ourselves daily and always be fixated on that. If, if you're asked the question, if you died tonight, how would you know that you would go to heaven? He said, if you answer that in the first person, you've already gone wrong. If I have faith, it's because I have faith because I believe, because I follow, because I. If you answer any way in the first person, he says, you've already gone off track. 
But if you answer in the third person, because he, right? Because he, because of what he did. And then he gave a great example that I'd never heard. He said, think about the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross that lived his life nothing for God. And in the last moments, it was started out joining the other one, cussing, you know, cursing him. He goes, and he gives, gives this image. He says, there's, so there's, the point is, there's nothing he could have done. There's nothing he did in his life to get to heaven. And he said, I would love to catch up with that guy someday and say, how'd that go for you? It, it, like you showed up in heaven and the angel said, oh, how'd you get here? He goes, I don't know. And he goes on, he goes, well, well, no, no, but how'd you get here? So I don't know. He goes, well, let me ask you a few questions. Are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? He goes, nope, never heard of it. <laughs> Said, okay, how about the doctrine of scripture? I have no idea what you're talking about. And then he goes on and he plays it up a little bit. He goes, well, let me go get my supervisor angel. And so the angel comes over and says, so how'd you get here? He goes, I don't know. I'm just here. He goes, well, why are you here? He said, because the guy on the middle cross said I could. That's it. That's it. That is the best thing I've heard. Because Jesus said he could. How'd you get here? I don't know. That guy said, and that was enough. And so we need to understand we might be in a relationship with Christ. We might have our name written on the book in the book of eternal life. We might have been saved. We might be in the process of being sanctified. We might have all of these blessings, but it has nothing to do with us. And so when we're talking about neighboring, when we're talking about reaching out, it has nothing to do with us. It's because Jesus said we're supposed to. And if we want to be where we're supposed to be in our life, just listen to him. You know, I, I happened with my kids, now it's my grandkids. You know, I, hey, Brody, get your shoes on and get your, well, where are we going? Why do I, I don't want to wear a shirt. You got to wear a shirt. Just, we go this, just like, can't you just get in the car? Because I said, all right, trust me, you're going to like where we're going. So we do, sometimes we'll understand stuff. Sometimes we won't. Sometimes we'll want to. Sometimes we won't. Sometimes we'll be in the right spirit. You know, the list goes on. But in the end, Jesus said, Jesus said, and that should be enough. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for your patience. 
And I pray that each one of us would die to ourselves more fully and trust you more completely so that we can live our lives free of the burden of self, free of the burden of arrogance and narcissism, and be able to say with a joyful and pure heart, I praise you, God, that this is not about me, but it is all about you. Lord, you gave your life that we might have life. Help us die more fully to ourselves, that we might live more fully to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.